And um, if you uh, turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes uh, and chapter 11, uh, we're continuing the series uh, which you guys have been going through, um, which I've been able to catch up on little bits of and I've really enjoyed. And so it's really uh, exciting uh, to be joining you guys and to be continuing with it. Um, Before I start, just to say, um, as kind of Pastor E mentioned already, uh, it's been a long time, so uh, for some of you guys, you must be wondering who on earth we are, uh, but for others, it's just really nice to see you. Uh, we always appreciate seeing you guys, and uh, for Abby and I, it always feels like we're coming home uh, when we come to Ecclesia, so it's, uh, it's just really nice to see you. And uh, just to, to clear up some confusion, some people thought we'd gone to another country for a little while. <laughs> just so you know, the Isle of Dogs is really not that far away, guys. It's, it's really close. It's like three stops on the DLR, so... If you ever want to go to the Isle of Dogs, it's three stops to the DLR. So we were there for a, 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 a couple of years, um, and now uh, we're over in Forest Gate, and it's a real uh, blessing to be over there. And I know there's even connections here with Forest Gate as well. I know Pastor E, Richard, Thomas as well. There's connections. And so I think of you guys when I'm walking, walking the streets <laughs> on, the, on the district. So, yeah, it's nice. Um, we're going to look at uh, Ecclesiastes uh, But before uh, I read the passage, uh, why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this awesome and wonderful opportunity to look at your word together. Uh, We thank you for the privilege that that is, Lord, that we have your written word that we can openly share with one another. Uh, Father, I pray that you would help me as I share from it. I pray I'll be faithful to the passage. I pray I wouldn't add to it, but faithfully expound uh, from your words um, for what you have to say to us here this morning. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is always at work in us, and I pray that it, he would be at work in us this morning. Um, where, where I'm not clear, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be at work in us, uh, bringing clarity and understanding. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's read. Uh, We're in Ecclesiastes, and today we're looking at chapter 11. Uh, So if you've got it open, uh, if you've got your Bibles, please do turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Um, And I'm reading from the ESV. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening Withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. 
I'm going to start with a little, uh, I'd love to call it a riddle, but um, I'm not sure if it's actually that difficult. So, you know, some people are like, oh, great, a riddle, but it's probably not even that hard. There are two things in life which we can either invest or we can waste. What are these two things? Time. What's the other one? Time and money. Well done, guys. You, you do great at, at, at Christmas, the Christmas table. You do great. Uh, um, time and money, they can be both uh, invested, they can be wasted, they can be stored away. All of those things. Money can be stored away and held onto. Uh, time can't be stored away and held onto. But there's times when we act or we think as if it can. Uh, I've got an eclectic taste in music, I'm proud to say. Uh, I listen to all types. And uh, there's a song which I, I particularly like, and it's by a guy called uh, Jim Croce. Um, and it's called Time in a Bottle. It's a very depressing song. But he, uh, he talks about this, and he says, if I could save time in a bottle, the first thing that I'd like to do is to save every day till eternity passes away just to spend them with you. If I could make days last forever, if words could make wishes come true, I'd save every day like a treasure, and then, again, I would spend them with you. And so this is idea, almost a romantic idea we can have sometimes where we want to store away time or we want to save the time and we want to bottle it that we have now. I've got a, a box of dominoes in my house that used to belong to my granddad. And uh, when I open it, it smells like his house or his flat used to smell like. And I smell it and uh, it reminds me of not only him but also of a time in my life. It smells like my childhood. It sounds very strange. But I'm sure you can understand what I'm saying. It smells like a time in my life. And when I first got it out after years of it being stored away, I opened it and I smelled it. I closed my eyes and it's like I could imagine it. And it was as if a memory had been stored and it had been stored away. Some of us might be familiar ourselves, be guilty of hoarding things sometimes. Or we may have seen TV programs where people try and help hoarders. And what's interesting is that often, not always, but often a thing that hoarders hold on to are newspapers or bits and bobs that they'll, they're convinced will be needed one day. And what's interesting, especially about newspapers, it's a time and it's a date. That news is only relevant for that day. And it's like we're trying to hold onto a time. Uh, one of my favorite photographers ever is a lady called Vivian Meyer. And she's taken amazing pictures, but she was a hoarder. And what's interesting is that she was obsessed with photography. And when we take pictures, again... It's like we're holding and we're capturing that memory and we're storing it away. We're holding on to it. But when we hold on to these things, when we hold on to time and when we hold on to money, we're deceiving ourselves into thinking that somehow we're in control, that we're in control of these things. We grasp them and hold on to them. So you've been reading so far in Ecclesiastes about how life is vanity or how life is meaningless. And this word vanity or meaningless uh, comes from a word which is hevel, which I can't say properly in the authentic way. But this word hevel is hard to translate um, in the English language. Um, but there's this idea that it's chasing after the wind. Where hevel is almost like a vapor or a smoke, which you can see visibly in front of your eyes. When you try to grasp it, there's nothing there. You think you've caught it, you open your hand, and there's nothing in your hand. I guess an expression which we have uh, in our modern day lives is like chasing a rainbow. If you chase a rainbow, you'll never get to the end of it. And even if you did, if you tried to hold it, there'd be nothing there. And so as we look at 
the passage today, as we think about life being hevel, as it being meaningless, as it being uh, vapor, smoke, something that we can't grasp, then we need to ask ourselves, how then should we live? If things are meaningless, if they're hard to grasp, then how then should we live? So last week, Ben uh, helpfully showed us how godly wisdom, uh, which is ultimately found in Christ, is uh, what we should be uh, pursuing and how this wisdom is typically deemed as foolishness by the world. So what the world seems as foolish, uh, what what the world uh, sees as foolish is something for us that is worth pursuing, it's worth grasping. And in this this chapter, the writer is encouraging us to look at how we can avoid trying to justify or control our own lives by pursuing things which ultimately mean nothing. It's an interesting and it's a difficult passage. Unlike, I guess, the prosperity gospel, which teaches how health and wealth are something to be grasped and aspired towards, the teacher here is encouraging us to be good stewards of our money and our time, bearing in mind that they're passing away. Yes, one day they'll be gone, but in the meantime, they're useful tools which we can use for God's glory. So let's look at the first few verses. Uh, The writer starts off by saying, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you'll find it after many days. And there's many different opinions on this uh, verse. It's It's a difficult expression for us to understand. Cast your bread upon the waters. Some people say that, Uh, There was a concept where uh, rivers would flood. If you think of rivers like the Nile, the rivers would flood. People would cast seeds on the water on the marshy ground. When the water subsided, you'd see seeds have sprouted up. Others say that it refers to making overseas investments. So it's like a euphemism or a figure of speech for making investments overseas. Uh, Others say that it refers to ancient brewing techniques where people would literally put bread in the water and it would ferment and they could use it to make alcohol or to make beer. And so where the the Bible doesn't clearly translate in our immediate context, because this isn't a term that we can use in our day-to-day, that it's important for us to look at the principle behind what's been said. And the principle here is that we shouldn't hold on to money too tightly. Money is to be used and it's to be used wisely. This might, for us, sound surprising. It might sound like strange advice. Uh, Like me, you might have come from a background where you're encouraged to hold on to money as long as possible. My dad used to say to me, don't let it burn a hole in your pocket. Don't be too eager to spend it like you've got money and it's on fire and you're just ready to to spend it on whatever you want to spend it on. And so I was always told, hold on to it, hold on to it. So if the writer here is telling us to spend it, it can be a bit confusing. But I'm sure we're all familiar with the verse in 1 Timothy 6 verse 10, which says, for the love of money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. I remember my my mate Ben, who's not, obviously he's not here today, we, we prayed for him earlier, but I remember him telling me something that really challenged me, and he said, sometimes loving money can be, can mean not being willing to part with it. Loving money can mean not being willing to part with it. And the teacher takes it a bit further in encouraging the reader to give portion to seven or even to eight. Again, some commentators are are certain that the writer is talking about making investments, investments for business. Others are convinced they're talking about charity or kindness. 
But either way, we should t- uh, pay attention to this principle. And the principle which is ba- made clear in this is that we should be willing to let go of our money because we don't know what's going to happen. The following verses expand on this. It says, even if the clouds, verse 3, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. If a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. We don't know where the rain will fall, although usually we can predict that it'll be somewhere in our local area. Um, But we don't know. We can't predict. We don't know when a tree will fall. Obviously, there's people that are skilled at chopping down trees and making them fall in the place where they want them to fall. But in nature, when trees fall, we can't make plans to know exactly where that tree is going to fall. Nature decides this, and so ultimately, God decides. In verse 4, we're given a helpful illustration that we can understand. It says, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. And this is, for these people who are perhaps familiar with farming and and living off the land, this would have been something easy to understand, that a farmer who's always checking the weather before they decide to do their work would be a bad farmer. They'd never do anything. If we were to hold on to our money, always fearing the worst, then we're mismanaging our money. If our security is the fact that we have money stored up in our bank account, then our security is in the wrong place. If we fail, we, we fail to manage our money when we think that it's us who's in ultimate control and we want to make sure that things stay that way. But we fail to manage our money when we insist on burying it in bank accounts. And perhaps like the rich fool in Luke 12, we find security in that and we put our faith in our own ability to look after and provide for ourselves. Verse 5 says, As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones of the womb of a woman in a, uh, with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. We've had uh, a birth in our family this week and it's beautiful to see this miracle unfolding before your eyes that a human being has been created in a fragile human body. And it's when you witness someone giving birth, like I wasn't actually physically there, but the fact that this has happened, you realize how fragile we are as human beings. And so cannot the God who knits human bones together in the wombs of fragile human bodies not also make a way for our fragile economy to provide for you what you need. You provide for you what you need until you reach the day when money isn't required anymore or even of any value any longer. We're all fragile, not just women having babies. And this whole book is reminding us how fragile and temporary our human lives are. And so God's ability to create something so beautiful out of something so fragile should be an encouragement for us that we can trust him with something so fragile as our finances. The man who buried his talent rather than invest in it was called wicked and lazy. When we try to control our money without taking risks, then we're ultimately not trusting God with it. And I'm not here today trying to manipulate you into giving your money to me. We've already had the offering. Uh, But some of you might be sitting there saying, I know what's coming. He's telling us to get rid of our money and it's going to go straight into his pocket. And I'm not saying that. I'm encouraging you that when you loosen your grip on money, we tighten our grip on God. And so this doesn't mean giving your money to me. But some of you, this might mean just buying your friend a coffee. 
We've all been there, haven't we? You're in Starbucks, you're with your friend, you've met them for a coffee, you go to the till, the cashier's really friendly, they're like, oh, will you be playing separately? And you're like, yes, we will, yes. <laughs> or you try and play it kind of tactically, and you're like, you let your friend go, no, please, after you. And then you're listening, like, you're playing separately, you're like, they're like, oh, no, we'll play together. You're like, oh, thanks. You might need to just buy your friend a coffee. Stop with those tactics. And as I talk about being tight-fisted here, I'm not talking, hear, hear what I'm saying, I'm not talking about people who are struggling for money. There's people who are struggling for money, and that's a real struggle. There's people who have low income, and they have family support and that, to support, and that's something different. It's you, perhaps, who we should be looking after in your time of need. But I'm not talking or referring to you, but there's others of us who need to be challenged because we might have the prettiest car in the car park, but we can't even buy a Mars bar for our friend at the petrol station. Some of us might have 5,000 pounds in your current account, your current account, not even your savings, it's just there <laughs> at your disposal. You can't even leave a tip when you go to Pizza Express or wherever you like to eat. There's people who are reluctant to have a joint account with their husband or wife because they're reluctant to share the control of their finances with their spouse. It's getting a bit real now, sorry. <laughs> Others don't give a second thought to spending 150 pounds on a pair of trainers, but they can't even spend 20 pounds on a friend's birthday present. <laughs> some people can relate to that here, wow. There's some hurting people, there's some hurting people. For some people, greed is the root of this, but others are scared. And I can understand that. I can understand and relate and empathize with you in the same way I can relate to those who can be tight-fisted and greedy at times. I can do that too. We're all guilty of that. There's people who are scared to take risks with money, to hand over the control. There's people who have wise and legitimate business ideas, but you're waiting for the perfect time, for when the climate is just right, for when the pound is a bit stronger, for when all this Brexit stuff settles down, you'll perhaps try and do something and make an investment to take a risk. But when we try and grasp our finances, like someone who tries to grasp something that is fleeting, that we think that we're in charge. Abby and I would love to one day buy a house and like I feel like our whole I mean we, we've been married for about for five years and I feel like throughout the whole of that time we've been kind of just keeping an eye on the housing market and there's always it's always someone's always got something to say about the housing market it's either always the greatest time to buy definitely don't buy now wait till this wait till that like oh now's the perfect time oh now's the worst time like and if we were to always keep an eye on that we'd never get anything we'd never get anything if we only commit to something when we feel that we can absolutely guarantee success, then we'll nev never do anything. And the writer reminds us of that, that tough times, sadly, are inevitable. We can never take a risk without something tough happening. It's always going to happen. It's, it's inevitable. But we're better prepared if our attitude is one of generosity and holding money loosely than hoarding and fretting about the future. Our hope is not in how much or how little we have in our bank accounts. Our hope is in the Lord who does what he wills according to his good nature. I'd rather be generous and poor than selfish and rich. 
I've never quite understood, uh, understood the parable of the shrewd manager in Luke 16, but I think that's probably what it's about along those lines. Giving away so that you're in a better position in the future. Paul's instructions to Timothy and his congregation are that they are to do good, meaning the church. They're to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Why? Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Jesus says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store treasures in heaven. It's when we hold money loosely that we're storing up treasures in heaven because we're recognizing that here is not where our treasure lies. Are you willing to allow God control of something temporary to sow into something that's eternal? Are you willing to do that? So we should wisely invest our money as we've looked at in these first five verses, but we should also wisely invest our time. So let's look at the next few verses. So verse 6 says, In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. So using our money well requires being diligent. It requires planning ahead, and it requires being wise. We're not talking about being reckless and throwing our money into all sorts of places. We're talking about being diligent, planning ahead and being wise, but also working hard. Working hard requires an investment of time. We see this in the book of Proverbs. It has a lot to say about this, and one of them being Proverbs 12 and verse 11 says, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. This is understandable, isn't it? It's practical. If we work hard, we'll get a return. If we don't, we're going to suffer as a result. I was at a gig last week and there was a guy who, he said something which was almost along the right lines, uh, but not quite. It almost picked up on the themes of Ecclesiastes. And he said, I've come to realize that, you know, we're all going to die. And so just do what you really like doing. And everyone was like, yay, great. And for me, if I was to take that attitude to so just thinking about me personally, that wouldn't be good because the things that I like doing are counterproductive. Candy Crush won't pay the bills. <laughs> I could list a wealth of other things which I just like doing, um, which aren't productive things. They're not good things. They're worthless pursuits, and I know that they are. It's fine to do some of the, these things when we're, we're having a rest, we're having a break, when we're winding down. Rest is good. In fact, it's a command. But as we saw in chapter 3, there's a time for everything. And I want to encourage you that to work hard is to make the most of life. God gives us the joy and the satisfaction of achievement as a result of hard work. I don't know if any of you here have ever got a degree or some sort of academic achievement You've seen the reward that you've got from putting in the graft, of putting in the hours, of when your life wasn't that fun, but when you weren't going to bed at times which were particularly sociable, but you got the joy of the reward at the end of that. And that's what happens practically when we, have, when we work hard. We see it followed in 
verse 7, which says, Life is sweet and pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. And this is another way of saying that life is a good thing. It's good to be alive and it's, and it's good to be enjoyed. And life is best enjoyed when we live it and we don't waste it. But also, not when we try and store it, when we lament over it and we wish that it would never end. That's also not a good use of our time. For all of us, like these days, like when you get to being an adult, snow is like really inconvenient, isn't it? Like you look out the window, you're like, oh no, like it's going to be a nightmare week. But when you're a kid, it's like basically the greatest thing that could ever happen to you other than maybe going to Toys R Us or something. But like if you were to play in the snow thinking that it would last forever, you'd be foolish. Like as a child playing in the snow, you go for it, you go nuts, you do as many things, tick off the list, snowman, sledging, snowball fight, everything, because you know that it's going soon. And so you make the most of it. And so we should handle life in the same way. We should enjoy it, but understand that it's passing away. We can understand that it's passing away. As conservative Christian, I guess me speaking for myself these days, as coming in the category as a conservative Christian, there's times where I can be scared to preach in a way that encourages people to enjoy life. But if we preach anything else, if we preach that life shouldn't be lived or, or should be lived without joy, then we're robbing ourselves of what God has intended for us. Some of you are familiar with catechisms. I know we went through a catechism uh, a, a while ago here at Ecclesia. And, and the first catechism in the Westminster is, I think it's the first one, what is the purpose of man? And the answer is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And when we work hard, we're glorifying God we're giving him glory. Let me help you to understand this a bit more. I could buy the most advanced, intricately designed, most efficient washing machine in the world. I was writing this sermon in the kitchen yesterday, looking at the washing machine. Um, but if I used it just to store paperwork rather than to wash clothes, then it would be an insult to the person who took the time designing and making such an excellent machine. We don't need to be people who are dynamic, world-changing people who are blowing everyone's mind and writing the next astonishing invention or whatever it is that Facebook encourages us to be doing, but just working hard. When we work hard, we glorify God, and we can experience the joy of the fruit that we can get from that. When we do what we're designed to do, we're glorifying the person who made us. We're glorifying him. Verse 8 affirms this. It says, So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. So it infers that we should enjoy life, but with humility, knowing that there will be tough times and that all is vanity. All is passing away. All is temporary. And if all is temporary, then what is even the point? If it's temporary, then why should we even work hard? If it's temporary, then why should we do anything good at all? Why should we do anything that's worth doing? Well, the next verse says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of, the, of your youth. Work, uh, walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. And listen to this. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Notice the tension. Enjoy your life but know that God will bring you into judgment. 
And that's kind of like, it can feel like the somber moment, can't it? Like, have a great time, God, but God's watching. You know, and we were like, <gasps> it's like one of them ones. But it's not, this can be good news for us. Because what is the point of all this? What is the point in working hard? What is the point in living life to the full? Because God is watching us. And so even if no one else sees what you're doing, even if no one else sees that you've been grafting all night or all week or whatever it is you're doing, God sees exactly what you're doing. And that makes life worth living. That gives our life a point. It gives it a purpose. It gives it a meaning. It shows that we're not just pieces of dust flying around and that our existence doesn't our existence doesn't matter Jesus says I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly and it's when we recognize that we are recognized by God that we can live life in a way that's abundant that has meaning that has purpose often laziness can be an issue for us but we also don't make best use of our time when we worry about tomorrow or long for yesterday other others of us may worry about yesterday and long for tomorrow In the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. A life where we constantly complain and resentfully limp through it is displeasing to God, and it makes for a miserable existence for us. Equally, a life of shallow enjoyment, wasting time on worldly pleasures, is displeasing to God. Like money, we can grasp, try to grasp hold of time. We can try to control it hold on to it, we can try to not share it, and we can indulge in it. I don't know about you, but even on a small scale, I've so often looked forward to a quiet night in. Oh, great, quiet night in. And I look back, I've completely wasted it. I've done nothing with it. I can't look back on it and, and, and even pinpoint exactly what I've done in that evening. How often do you use your personal time to be a blessing to others? doesn't mean it can't be enjoyed. doesn't mean it can't be restful. But time shared or invested is often much more rewarding than time alone or used for self-indulgence. How often do we use our time to work hard or our free time to be productive instead of playing, playing Candy Crush like me? Like our money, we can be overprotected of it or we can be reluctant to serve or to work, but we can also be discouraged by having a warped view of time which consumes our lives. We always think, don't we, that we've missed the opportunity. Opportunity has been missed. I remember when I was 17, I missed out a year at at college. I dropped out a year, and when I went back when I was 17, I was like, like, everything's ruined now. I've missed a year. I've missed my opportunity. Everyone else in my college year is 16, and I'm a whole year older than them. What a waste. I've wasted my whole life. I thought I'd, I'd miss the opportunity to have a meaningful existence. It was the same when I was 21. I got to 21, I look at people who are 16 and be like, oh, their whole lives ahead of them. <laughs> I thought I'd miss the opportunity. And what I've realized is that one day I'll probably look back at me now at 32 and say, you had so much that you could do. Instead of lamenting over the fact that I think that I've missed my opportunity, that life is over. I don't think that every day, by the way, but there is, there, there's times where we can think that. There's times we can think that. I'm sure I'll look back at where I am right now and say, you have the world at your fingertips. I'm always looking back. I'm always looking ahead. 
I should be looking at now. Verse 10 says, Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. And so this is what we should do. This idea of removing or putting away pain is also ju- suggests an idea of putting away evil, getting rid of stuff that's a hindrance, getting rid of stuff that's a problem in my life. For us, that might mean just the very mindset of looking at our lives and thinking that it's all over and we've wasted it. Remove it. For the youth and the dawn of life, of vanity, these things are passing away anyway. We want to be reluctant. I'm scared at some points to say live for the moment because there's a point where that suggests that we should just do reckless things like get a tattoo on our face or some crazy <laughs> stuff like that, you know. We're not saying that. But there's an element where we should be appreciating the moment that we're in right now. It's God-given. We can't take it for granted. Time is a scary thing. It's a daunting thing. Because even if we try to, we can't control it. How often do you thank God for right now? We have a guy who comes to our Bible study, and you know whenever you say, you put out prayer requests, and there's always someone that comes with exactly the same prayer request every week. And you can always tell them what they're going to say, but this guy's a blessing. He says, I think we should thank God for right now, for this very moment. And it's like, that's right, isn't it? That's right, you know. We can thank God for right now, for the age I am right now, for the circumstance that I'm in in my life right now. It's a beautiful thing. How often do you appreciate the stage of life you're in? You'll never be at this point in life ever again. You'll always look back on it and think, wow. But you should be appreciating it. We should be. I should be appreciating it right now. For some of you, you may feel discouraged because you've given up a lot since coming to faith. If you've given up getting married, you haven't wasted your life. You haven't wasted it. If you've given up being able to bear children for the sake of where you are right now, for the sake of the fact that you're in this room, for the fact that you're following God, you're not wasting your life. Your life's not wasted. You might have given up a highly paid career, something that could have been my You could have been swimming in money right now. You're not wasting your life for giving that up. It's not wasted. Don't panic. Let's not panic. Our money, our time... Our youth isn't something to be stored away and hoarded. It's something to be invested, to be enjoyed, to be shared, to be used for God's glory and not for our own security. And we can do this because according to what you read a few weeks back in chapter 3, verse verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. He's put eternity in our heart. And this is the story of the Bible. The whole Bible points to this. Abraham could leave a familiar land to go to a strange place, live like an alien, because he had eternity in his heart. Moses could put aside a royal lifestyle, a life as a king. Have you ever thought about that? Moses grew up as a king in a palace. He went and lived as a shepherd and later was associated with an oppressed people because he had eternity in his heart. Esther could risk her life for the sake of many, because she had eternity in her heart. Daniel could be uncompromising in a culture which hated his God, because he had eternity in his heart. When we recognize that our lives are fleeting, our time 
and money as something not to be controlled, but rather to be used for the sake of God's glory and with eternity in sight, we follow what Jesus did. He set the example for this. He's the ultimate fulfillment of what it means to have an eternal perspective. Paul prays for the Philippians that this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, you can't get any bigger than that, did not consider equality with God as something to cling to, as something to grasp, as something to hold on to. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus not only took on the form of a servant, but he also went to the cross and he died for us. He took our sin and our shame and he rose on the third day and he ascended to heaven to make a way for us to follow. And it's because he did this that we can have a certain and sure hope that eternity includes us as well. Eternity with God is a certain hope for those who put their trust in him and turn away from sin. Those of us with eternity in our hearts can see more clearly clearly the vanity of all that is fleeting. Jesus says, whoever loves his life loses it. In other words, don't try to grasp hold of and control of it. You'll be only disappointed by its perishing state, but instead put your hope and cling to what is eternal. Where's your hope? What is it that you're clinging to? Where do you find security? What do you despair over? When we realize that we live for eternity and when we can have a sure and certain hope that eternity can be spent with God, then we don't need to despair over a life which we feel is wasted. We can be used today. We can look at years gone by and say they're not wasted. We can look at an eternity and say I have eternity to look forward to. Your youth may have passed you by legitimately. You know, there's people who are bed-bound, 90 years old. They might not be able to do much, but because of Jesus Christ, they can rejoice in their situation right now, where they are right now. What are you clinging to? What are you holding on to? Do you recognize that we are part of eternity? Are you here today and you recognize that you can spend eternity with God? I'm going to finish with a story. The story says, In the last century, a tourist from the States visited the famous Polish rabbi, Havez Hayim. He was astonished to see that the rabbi's home was only a simple room filled with books. The only furniture was a table and a bench. Rabbi, where's your furniture? asked the tourist. Where's yours? replied Havez. Mine? But I'm only a visitor here. So am I, said the rabbi. Let's pray together. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, and in in the age to come, eternal life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this hope that we have. Lord, we sin, I sin, because I cling so hard onto that which is fleeting. 
to that which is vanity, to that which is temporary. Lord, I cling to my money. I cling to my time. I'm selfish at times. But there's other times that I'm scared, and that's the place where I find my security. I'm sure there's many others here this morning who do exactly the same thing. Father, help us to live in a way where we're reminded of eternity. We live with eternity in our hearts, that we recognize that Christ, that, that God, who can knit together a human life within a fragile human body, can take care for us and our fragile lives and our fragile time and our fragile for, um, finances. Help us to recognize that Christ, who took on a fragile body and gave it as a sacrifice for us, has made a way for us to share an eternity. And because of this, Lord, we don't need to despair of lives where we've given up so much, so many of us, that we don't need to be afraid to give up so much for the sake of something eternal. So, Father, help us to do this. It's so difficult to do. It's so contrary and to, to culture. It's so countercultural. It's not what's dropped into us every day. But, Father, be at work in us by your Holy Spirit. Be reminding of us of eternity. Be reminding of us, us of the treasure which we have in heaven. Father, help us to enjoy this life without complacency. I pray that by your grace, you'd help us through the tough times. And Lord, we know there are really, really tough times. Help us to be spurred on by a living hope we have in Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.